The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. I want to welcome you in the name of Jesus this morning, and uh, thank you for being here. And again, if you're a visitor, if this is your first time being here, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We are continuing the winding down of our sermon series, You Are What You Love. Um, I'll be preaching the second to last sermon in that series this morning, and then Ben will be uh, concluding things with a sermon on discipleship um, next week. And so, uh, but I also wanted to remind you about something happening the next Sunday after that, uh, which will be December 3rd, and December 3rd is the first Sunday of Advent, Um, So, as most of us think about our uh, secular calendars, we think of New Year's Day typically as January 1st, Uh, but according to the Christian calendar, uh, the first day of the Christian year is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, So this year it's December 3rd, and uh, if you're unfamiliar with Advent, it's a season that uh, the church celebrates uh, for the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And it is a time when we look uh, and prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, And not just looking back at the first advent or arrival of Jesus on earth in the incarnation. But also looking ahead to the second advent, to the second coming of Jesus when he comes to judge the living and the dead and renew all things. And so advent is, is a time of celebration. It's a time of anticipation and preparation. Um, And so I know that, you know, Christmas is a crazy time. Late November, December, there's a lot of scurrying around, a lot of trying to hit papers, a lot of trying to hit deadlines, a lot of wrapping gifts and booking flights, a lot of preparation. And that's why I love Advent, uh, because this is a time to, to prepare our hearts, room for Jesus Christ. And so I hope you'll be there with us uh, Sunday, December 3rd, as we celebrate the Christian New Year, um, the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, But this morning, we're going to dive right on into our text in in our You Are What You Love series, and we'll be in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 today, if you want to turn over in your Bibles. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray. God, you have blessed us with your presence this morning. And God, you have... Uh, given us so many good gifts, and you have blessed us with one another and with this opportunity to worship and to reshape who we are by the power of your Spirit in worship. God, help us to seek your will in our lives. God, I ask for the gift of preaching this morning, and Lord, we just ask that you would guide us into the truth of your gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. I was on Twitter a few months ago 
when I saw a quote from a fairly prominent biblical professor named D.A. Carson. And I think Carson was speaking at a lecture of some kind, and he had been uh, quoted by somebody on Twitter. And we were about three or four weeks into our sermon series, You Are What You Love, when I saw this tweet. And so I think it's because of that context that the words landed in my brain with a distinct crashing noise. Let me, let me share those words with you. He said, you are not what you say, you are not what you do, you are not what you eat, you are what you think. Now, after a dozen weeks of this sermon series, I hope there's a little internal groaning going on at that quote. I hope to see some, some raised eyebrows, maybe some red flags run up the pole. Uh, it, and by the way, if, if you haven't been with us for these 12 weeks, if this is one of your first Sundays with us, just know that our sermon series is called You Are What You Love. So there's a little bit of a disconnect here. But more than internal groaning, I, I hope that this demonstrates just how pervasive uh, this view of human beings that, that we've put forth is in Christianity. That we've, we've thought so much often about human beings as thinking things, right? As, as kind of brains on sticks or, or even bobbleheads, you know, where the weight of who we are is, is up here, is in the brain. And, and Ben and I have been trying to say throughout this series, not that we need less thinking, we need more good thinking. We need the renewing of our minds, of course. But that we need more than that. We need more than good thinking. And, and what we need is we need good loves. We need good wants, good desires. And so we've been talking about Christian worship and how worship shapes those habits, those, those desires in us and directs them at the kingdom of God. And we've been talking about how Christian worship is not just an intellectual endeavor. You know, it's, just, it's not just more information that Ben and I get up here and we open up your brain canisters and pour in the right information. And now you're a good person. No, but worship is, is more than just up here. Worship is, is a heart, gut level thing. And more than that, it's a full-bodied activity, a full-bodied experience. And in fact, if you haven't thought about this before, uh, worship actually in, engages all five senses. Uh, that in, in Christian worship, how do we start? How do we start this sermon series? With hospitality. And in hospitality, we touch. You know, we touch one another. We greet in the hallways. We shake hands. We hug. In some cultures, they might still do the holy kiss thing. More power to them. We touch in worship, so much so that, you know, my father-in-law usually after he gets out of a service has to leave and say, all right, I got to go wash the brethren off my hands. <laughs> we touch in worship. And we also hear. We use our ears in worship. We listen to one another. We, we sing. We try to harmonize and stay in tune with each other. Some of you might be looking at a spouse or a friend thinking, I wish they'd use their ears a little bit more. But the Spirit translates our groaning and our singing. And not only do we just hear and touch in worship, 
but we also see. We use our eyes. You know, we follow along on the lyrics. We read scripture together. We look one another in the eye. We look at Barbara, who's beautifully signing throughout the whole service. She loves attention. (laughs) She does not. (laughs) But we touch, we hear, we see, we even smell. Not just this gym, God bless it. And not just our old quail auditorium, which if, if you weren't ever there, had a very strong chlorinated smell to it. Uh, I think from the baptistries, so much so that sometimes I would get home and Lara would be like, you smell like quail. <laughs> but candles, right? One of the things about the season of Advent is we're going to start lighting candles each Sunday. And you might not be able to smell it from the back row, but our olfactory senses are, are even brought into Christian worship. And even Taste. At the tables, Christian worship touches our, our teeth, our tongues, our tummies. All, all of our senses are involved in this activity. It's a, it's a full-bodied experience, Christian worship. It touches all five senses. And one thing you may not have noticed about this sermon series is that Ben and I have been also kind of trying to follow the rough outline of a worship service throughout the series. Uh, So we started off with a sermon on hospitality. And that's typically what happens towards the beginning, you know, as you're in the hallways greeting one another, coming into service. And then from there we moved on to things like song, confession, creed. Things that typically for us at the Springs happen more in the first half of the service. And from there, we moved on to Scripture, to prayer and preaching and table and offering, these things that happen in the middle to the latter half of the service. And and so this morning, we've finally reached the end of the service. This morning, we've finally reached that moment of sending and that moment that a lot of us know as the benediction. So, so the benediction, uh, if, if you're not familiar with um, our practices here or, or in the church abroad, a benediction is just a Latin word that means basically good speech or, or to wish well or to bless. And so for a long time, churches have been ending their services with this blessing moment where, where there is both a blessing and a charge spoken over the congregation as we are sent out the doors. And so uh, a very common benediction, actually one of the most popular, would be found in in Numbers, chapter 6, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And some benedictions uh, have more of a charge in them as well, you know, a, a mission to go out on. Um, For instance, last week uh, I preached a sermon on offering and the benediction I offered was, may the passion of the gospel story stoke the imagination of this church as we seek to love God with all our hearts and all of our resources. So a benediction is a blessing and a charge. It is a sending out of God's people, God's worshipers, 
and asking them to go be that blessing to the rest of the world. And it actually makes me think of good parenting. So I'm not a parent yet, but as I, as I watch um, you know, on my news feed or on YouTube, there's, there's all these good videos of what I would call a parental pep talk. And so maybe, maybe you've seen these or maybe you uh, enact this with your own families and your own homes, um, but there's this almost kind of liturgical pep talk, motivational speech, uh, and, and kind of a call and response that typically happens between a, a parent and a child. Um, so, so the parent and the child, they'll be getting ready to send them out of the car into the school or out of the house to the bus, and, and they'll kind of go through this whole thing like, I'm smart, and the kid repeats, I'm smart, I'm respectful, I'm respectful, uh, I'm not better than anyone, no one's better than me. And, and, and it go through all this thing, and, and my, what's my name? I'm Brett Vanderzee. You know, uh, what are you thankful for? And da, 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 on and down the list. And, and, and it's this, this kind of sending moment. It's this moment where the parent reminds the child who they've been formed and matured and grown to be in their house in order that when they leave, they will be that person outside of the house. That they'll remember whose child they are and who they are in order to bless the world. It's a sending moment. It's a benediction kind of thing, and, and so I think in our own context, you know, as we gather in this gym on Sunday mornings, this becomes a house of worship for us. This is our house, and we gather around the table in this house, and sometimes after service we shoot hoops, and we sing songs, and we pray, and we read scripture, all, all kinds of things that I hope you're doing in your own homes. And at the end of service, we remind each other of who we are. We remind each other that we are in our Father's house, and we're about to go leave and be God's children in the world. We remind ourselves of who we've become in worship, what we've learned and experienced and how our desires have been shaped and directed toward God's kingdom. And that's why we're in Genesis 12 this morning. So let's turn back over to, to Genesis 12 quickly, because I think it captures for us this moment of being sent out the door by God who has blessed us. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the beginning of the story of God's people. The beginning of Israel, the beginning of church, of God's people, happens here in the call, the election, and the sending of Abram. And so what we find is that God gives an inherent blessing and charge to Abram. He says, hey, Abram, you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a great name. You're going to have all these offspring. But he also gives him a charge. 
He also sends him out. The very first words, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. All the way to verse 3, the end, because in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, you know, thinking about the first 11 chapters of Genesis, a lot happens. I mean, if the first 11 chapters of Genesis, if Netflix was going to produce that for us, it would take multiple series, dozens of seasons, and you would be binge-watching for months just to get caught up. There's a lot going on in there. There's the fall. There's the first murder. There's the flood. There's the Tower of Babel. All, all the, the greatest hits. But, but actually, if you're not familiar, it's, it's all a lot of sin and rebellion and evil and discord. And so we've got all of that in Genesis 1 through 11. And then we get here to Genesis chapter 12, and God speaks a word. He, he calls one person, one people. And God says, even through all that rebellion and sin, even through all that, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so, church, what we learn in Abram is that God's people don't exist in a vacuum. God's people don't exist just for themselves. God's people exist and are blessed and are sent in order to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. In order to show all the families of the earth how to love. Uh, and, and so actually, I, I like the way that James K.A. Smith puts this. Uh, because when we talk about sending, we're talking about mission, aren't we? That's a mission word. And not just mission abroad, that, but also mission domestically. Mission around us, the mission of God that we get to join in on. And when we talk about mission in the context of you are what you love, what we're essentially saying is that missions is not answering people's intellectual questions. It's showing them what to love. Missions is not answering people's intellectual questions. It's showing them what to love. Some of you might have heard of St. Augustine. Um, Ben's mentioned him a, a few times in this sermon series. And St. Augustine wrote a book called Confessions, actually 1,600 years or so ago. And uh, interestingly enough, it's often considered one of the first autobiographies ever written in human history. And he goes through and he, and he tells his story, tells his life story and his conversion to Christianity. And uh, he spares very few details. He's very candid. He's uh, very devoted. A lot of it is spoken almost like a prayer to God. And in chapter 5 of that book, he, he talks about the time that he first met Ambrose. Uh, Ambrose was a, a bishop in Milan, Italy. And Augustine goes to Milan, and he's, he's still very much not a Christian. He's very much not convinced by it intellectually. He, he sees lots of problems. But he goes to Milan, and he meets Ambrose. And I just wanted to read you a couple lines from this, uh, this passage that he writes about Ambrose. He says, So I came to Milan to the bishop and devout servant of God, Ambrose, 
famed among the best men of the whole world, whose eloquence did then most powerfully minister to thy people. That man of God received me as a father, and as bishop welcomed my coming. I came to love him, not first as a teacher of the truth, which I had utterly despaired of finding in your church, but for his kindness towards me. Let me read that last line again. He says, I came to love him not first as a teacher of the truth, which I had utterly despaired of finding in your church, but for his kindness towards me. I think if we opened up the microphone this morning, a lot of you could tell story upon story upon story of people who had been converted to Christianity not because you answered all of their intellectual questions. Though there's certainly a time for that, of course. But I think you could probably tell stories, and maybe some of you yourselves actually decided to follow Jesus Christ, not because somebody argued you into a position, not because they convinced you that they were smarter than you, but because they, they loved you. And not just that they loved you, but perhaps because they they showed you how to love. That they showed you what a life defined by love looks like. A life that, that is not loving the vain pursuits of this world, not loving the ways and schemes of humanity. But a life that is shaped by the love and the worship of the triune God. Missions is not answering people's intellectual questions, first of all. First of all, it is showing them what to love. It's showing them what to love. You know, you look on the news lately, and there's quite a lot of sin being bandied about. Quite a lot of sin on display. And we're talking about uh, seemingly personal or private sins and also uh, public and uh, oppressive sins, systemic sins. And no one's exempt. You know, media moguls, would be politicians, comedians, even Christians. And all all this sin on display, sexual sin, sin of greed, pride, exploitation, abuse, all of it incredibly disheartening and egregious. And with each new headline, we're, we're learning again and again the lesson that we as a human community do not need any help learning how to be famous. We as a human community do not need any help learning how to amass wealth. We don't need any help learning how to be successful, how to amass fans, how to amass lovers. We as a human community need help learning how to love. We need help learning what to love. And in short, Quite simply, we need to learn 
how to be truly human. How to be truly human. And when we're talking about being truly human, the greatest teacher, the greatest exemplar, the greatest liberator, bar none, is the one who is truly human and truly divine, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the original sent one, the original blessed one, is the one who teaches us what to love. The, the original one whose life was defined by worship, by the love of God that he participated in, defined by baptism, by prayer, by preaching, by song, by table, by offering. Jesus Christ is the one who shows us how to be truly human because he was truly human and truly divine. Jesus Christ is calling you. He's calling you because he wants to bless you and he wants to send you. Have you listened to that call? Have you listened to his words? Church, let's answer that call together as we stand and sing this morning.